0: Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and if you're here for the first time, we're currently going, we're, we're doing studies on the life of Christ, and uh, we're currently looking at the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and Jesus is going to give us some counsel about stuff, things. Material possessions, uh, all the stuff that we go after so dearly and hang on to so dearly and polish and shine. And then a couple months later, it's in the yard sale. But anyway, um, he's going to talk to us about that this morning. It seems like we're used to separating life, the spiritual life and the material life. You know, we come to church on Sunday, so we put on our spiritual robes. We start work on Monday, we put on our working overalls. We come back next week, we put on... It's like we, we categorize our life into different compartments. And yet, Jesus never made any kind of divisions like that. We are Christians 24-7. We are to be a Christian here Outside, at work, at school, in the marketplace, wherever we go. In many of his parables, he made it clear that a right attitude about wealth is a characteristic of true spirituality, which he's going to be talking about here this morning. The leading religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were preoccupied with things. They were materialistic. They were greedy. They were covetous. The Pharisees were lovers of money, Paul, Jesus said in Luke 16, 14, and they used their religion to make money. If we have the true righteousness of Christ in our lives, then we're going to have the right attitude when it comes to material things, material wealth. Nowhere did Jesus Christ uh, you know, glorify poverty. Okay? Or did he criticize getting wealth in the right way? Because God made all things including food, clothing, precious metals, precious stones. And he said that all things that he has made are good. God knows that we need certain things in order to live. He, you know, he knows that we have necessities in life. And, you know, in, in, in the Lord's, you know, um, uh, prayer that, that is his uh, teaching us how to pray, he said, you know, pray for your daily bread. Because, again, he knows that we need things to, to live by and so, in fact, he's even said that he's given us richly all things to enjoy. So, again, God didn't you know, want to take anything away for us so much as he, he, he gave us things to enjoy, but in the proper manner. So it's not wrong to possess things. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. But it is wrong for those things to possess us. Proverbs 3.9, Solomon said, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And then in Luke twelve fifteen, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Life is not measured by how much stuff you have. Like that bumper sticker that used to read, The Man Who Dies With The Most Toys Win. Uh, not good to go by. That's not exactly what Jesus was teaching. Because those things can become idols in our life things that we strive for, things that we pursue, things that we put all of our energy into. But that's idolatry. And the sin of idolatry is just as dangerous as the sin of hypocrisy. And there are many warnings in the Bible against covetousness. So Jesus warned against the sin of living for the things of this life. He pointed out the sad consequences of covetousness and idolatry. The counsel that Jesus gives here is counsel that people desperately need today. And yet, most people turn a deaf ear to this counsel and instead they seek the counsel of the world, which is counsel that ignores the things of God and the soul and focuses only on the things of time and the physical. Worldliness is not so much a matter of what I do, it's not so much a matter of things that we do, it's an attitude how I view the world. It's possible for a Christian to stay away from questionable pleasures and doubtful places and still love the world. Because worldliness is a matter of the heart. So much so that a Christian loves the world system and the things in it that he doesn't love the Father. Now, why is it that so many people buy houses and cars and appliances or clothes that they really can't afford? Why do they fall for the great get it now advertisement and then get themselves into deep and hopeless debt going on vacations and traveling far beyond what they can afford? Well, it's mostly because they want to impress other people because of the pride of life. They want people to notice how well off they are or how successful they are. And it's a fact that the world does appeal to Christians through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And once the world takes over in one of these areas, a Christian will soon know it. How will they know it? Because they'll soon lose their joy of the Father's love. They'll lose their desire to do the Father's will. The Bible will become boring to them. Prayer will become a task, a chore. It will be difficult for them. Even Christian fellowship may seem empty and unsatisfactory. And it's not that there's something wrong with others. What's wrong is the Christian's worldly heart. So it's important to understand that no Christian becomes worldly all of a sudden. You don't go to bed one night just full of the Lord and enjoying your relationship with God. And and you wake up the next day, you know what? I want to be worldly. No, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen suddenly. Worldliness slowly, slowly sneaks up on a believer. It's a little by little process. You don't feel yourself seeking the world. You find yourself in the world. First, James says it's the friendship of the world. Now, by nature, the world and the Christian are enemies. A Christian who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. 1 John two fifteen through 16. John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The next thing you know, James says that the Christian becomes spotted by the world. The world's fingerprints are all over them. The world leaves its dirty spots on one or all of the areas of life. This means that little by little, the believer accepts and adopts the ways of the world. And we see that today. We see it accepting more and more of the world's ways and the culture and the things that are taking place. Because we don't want to stand up for righteousness sake. We're afraid. We're afraid we're going to be laughed at or, 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 or called fanatics. When this happens, the world ceases to hate the Christian, and the world starts to love them. If the world loves you, you better check yourself. Jesus said, "The world hated me. It's going to hate you." That's why John warns us, don't love the world. But too often our friendship with the world leads to loving the world. And when that happens, the believer becomes conformed to the world. And then you can hardly tell the two apart. You can't tell the believer from the world. In Christ's counsel here, Christ tackles the problem of materialism that, he, that, that, that has such a chokehold on so much of the world, and even much of Christianity as well. And in his counseling here, Jesus points out, he gets right to the point, and he's very challenging. Jesus doesn't waste words here, and he puts plenty of weight in the words that he does use. So this morning, we're going to look at the counsel that Jesus gives about our possessions, which is certainly different than how the world counsels about possessions. So let's begin now in chapter 6 with verse 19, 19 and 20. Jesus said do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal So jesus starts off here his counsel about possessions by giving two commands Two commands about seeking possessions first. He gives the negative command about seeking possessions. He prohibits them He says do not lay up for yourselves A lot of people don't like this command because it's negative. They only want to hear a positive message. But you see, if if all you give people is a positive message, it will be an unbalanced message. And it will mislead them, and it will corrupt people, and it will lead them away from the truth. The words, do not lay up, means this. It means to heap up. It means to store up. And the word for layup is more significant and powerful in the original than than it is expressed here in the English. It signifies, first of all, to gather together. Second, to hoard or to heap up against the future. So this action takes a lot of energy and a a lot of time. And Jesus says, we're not to give this effort for measly earthly treasures. Now, Jesus Christ Jesus' command does not mean that we're, we're not to earn a living or to save to buy things that we need. Jesus didn't forbid man to work, to have an occupation. That's how he provides things he needs personally for his family. Matter of fact, the King James Version says, don't be slothful in business. Nor does Jesus here forbid the fruit of our labors. That is, you know, enjoying what we work for. In the possession of goods and riches, provided we have worked for them, and we've gotten them honestly, and we use them in the right way. Jesus doesn't forbid the laying up in store for our own future, for the use of our family. We are are to save and and to, you know, store up for the future. The forbidden thing here that Jesus is talking about is a fanatical accumulation of things that you don't need. That's excessive. It ignores Paul. Uh, what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 8. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. He says, don't lay up treasures here on earth. The emphasis on earth is in the forbidden seeking From the earth. In other words, Jesus forbids the fanatical seeking of measly uh, earthly treasures. Truthfully, most people don't think much beyond this earth. They're totally worldly minded. If it's not about this life, they're not interested. Eternity doesn't mean anything to them. They live for today and they could coalesce about thinking about the future after the earthly life is over. Even in old age, there are those who won't make out a will or prepare their estate for the time when they're going to die because they just just don't want to think about it or face the idea of anything but this life. It's a terrible thing to be focused only on this life, on this earth, because it will send the soul to hell faster than anything else. Now, the negative about laying up treasure on this earth, Jesus said, is that moth and rust destroy them. And he said, and thieves can break in and steal them. So the expectation over their future of earthly treasures isn't good. People who put their effort, all their energy, into pursuing earthly treasures, they can expect a great loss and disappointment. Jesus describes the loss here as ruin and robbery. Here's what you can expect to happen to your earthly treasures. First of all, Jesus said there's going to be ruin. Moth and rust destroy them. The word destroy that Jesus uses here means to deprive of luster, to render unsightly, to cause to disappear, to consume, or to destroy. And all that stuff that we pursue and just work so hard to get, it loses this luster, doesn't it? That's why it goes out in the yard sailing. We want to go for something else, something bigger and shinier. Jesus gives us a picture of the meaning of the word corrupt by the work that the moth and the rust does. We know what moths do to clothes, don't we? We know what rust does to metals. So that tells us something about what we can expect to happen to our earthly treasures. They can be ruined, and they can disintegrate right in front of our eyes. They won't last. Secondly, Jesus said, you'll be robbed. He said, things can break, um, thieves can break in, and they can steal. Earthly treasures are not protected from being stolen. And this robbery can include inflation if your earthly treasures happen to be stocks and bonds and other monetary possessions like silver and gold. We saw that happen, what, in 2008? When the banks were all shutting down and and a lot of people lost a lot of money, they lost their retirement. Just like that. Money they had saved up for years, planning on to retire, maybe that year or the year later, gone. Half of it gone. There's no protection in this world for earthly things. We can be robbed in a minute. Gold and silver. One minute it's, it's, you know, high in value. And during Revelation, the Bible says gold's going to be worth nothing. Earthly treasures have a security problem. Look at verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So here's the positive part of Jesus' message. And this is the habit of God to give you the positive and the negative. That makes you a balanced Christian. You need the Old Testament, the New Testament. You need the whole Bible to make you a whole Christian. God gives us both the negative and the positive so that it eliminates any excuses for not understanding the lesson and the warning. We don't want all negative and we don't want all positive, And we don't want all positive and we don't want all negative. The negative and the positive are inseparably inseparably related to each other. Kind of like the side effects of some medications. You get a medication to take care of some ill, but when you read the side effects, you go, I don't know whether I'm better off taking the medicine or not not taking it. The side effects seem to be worse many times for 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 the reason I'm taking it. Jesus said we are to lay up in abundance, in abundance, heavenly treasures. And this is more than a lot of Christians are interested in. A lot of Christians are just content with a very small amount of heavenly treasures. They'd rather live on skimpy spiritual rations. They want to cut the Bible preaching and teaching time in half so they can have more self-time. Gives me more time to do what I want to do. Paul said to abound more and more as a Christian. Are you abounding more and more? To abound more and more in heavenly things. A lot of us need that exhortation this morning. But how can we build up our heavenly treasures? Well, we can do it by giving. Matthew 6, 4. We can do it by praying. Matthew 6, 6. We can do it by serving. 1 Corinthians 1, 8. And by faithfulness to the Lord. Luke 6, through 23. Where are we to seek these heavenly treasures? In heaven. This is the right kind of seeking. This is the right place to be seeking treasures. Paul said in Colossians 3, 2, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Jesus is exhorting us to focus on heavenly and eternal th- things. Heaven and eternity. So what can we expect? Well, if we do that, if we're seeking heavenly things, neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves can't break in and steal. This is good because heavenly treasures are permanent and they're protected. No earthly thing, no earthly thing can lower the value of heavenly things because they're permanent, they're lasting, and they're satisfying. The shine of the heavenly things never decrease. They never disappear. The glory will never be gone. The joy will never end. Time won't take away anything from heavenly treasures. Nothing is more safe than that which is stored in heaven. And there's no safer place or more solid investment than to invest in heavenly treasures. Verse 21. And here's why. For where your heart treasure is there your heart will be also here's the warning what jesus is saying here is that our treasures have a great effect on our heart because the heart has great sympathy great compassion great affection for our treasures we love them so much so that where our treasures are that's where our heart will be too To help us better understand the Lord's warning about the heart and our possessions, the word treasure, translated from the Greek, in Thayer's Greek lexicon, means the things laid up in a treasury, something precious. Strong's concordance, it means a deposit or wealth. So, Jesus isn't talking about money here or material things. What Jesus is talking about is whether each man or woman, whatever they think is best for them. That is that thing which he or she eagerly puts out all of their energy to get. That, that thing which he or she is most afraid of losing. That thing which he or she, uh, if they have it, oh, they'll think they're blessed. And, in the, and conversely, if they don't have it, oh, they won't be happy. That's what he's talking about. That thing. That if you think you have it, life will be wonderful. If you have the right car, the right house, the right clothes, the right this, you'll be happy. Oh, and if you don't have those things, you won't be happy. Talking about the things that people have their heart set on. And the word heart here in our text, it means a lot more than the way it's used today in in, in common, common vocabulary. We use the word heart today as an expression for the affections. But the Bible takes it as including the whole inner man. All that man is, his thoughts, his purposes, his choices, they're all included in the word heart. As one passage of scripture says, Solomon in Proverbs 4.23 says, For out of it, the heart spring the issues of life. The heart is the innermost heart sanctuary will or storeroom or reservoir, the innermost personality, the inseparable part of the thinking, the will, feelings, and loving and that people, you know, which even call themselves, the thing that they love most, themselves. So here the heart not only involves one's affections, but also one's entire being, all that a person is, is in the heart. It's not just our affections, but also our whole being, our whole life that will be taken up with our earthly treasures. Jesus' message here, warning us about the heart and our possessions, it teaches us some important lessons here that are applicable to all people, whether they're rich or poor. Because you don't have to be a millionaire to need these lessons about one's treasures. Poor people need this exhortation just as much as rich people do. Because you see, it's not how much you have. It's your attitude towards what you have that this warning speaks to. Are those things that you have so precious to you that that if you lose them, you'll lose your life? You'll lose your joy? A poor man can be uh, as taken up by some small possessions just as much as a rich man can be taken up by some large possessions. Poor children will fight over a cheap toy just like rich children will fight over an expensive one. Because you see, covetousness has very little to do with the value of a thing, but everything to do with the desire of one's heart. I want something so bad that I'm willing to give up everything else that's important to me to go get it. Jesus in our text here says that our treasures affect our heart because it says that our heart will always follow what's most important to us it will always follow our treasure is jesus christ your treasure this morning jesus is where your treasure is there your heart will be also our heart follows treasures so when you take into consideration the meaning of heart the way jesus uses it here Our treasures will take over and rule our life. They will control our affections. They will take over our time. They will demand our time. They will drain our energy. They will drain our efforts. They will determine the way we think. Matthew Henry said this about the effect of our treasures on our thought life. He said, our treasures become the first thought, the free thought, the fixed thought, the frequent thought, the familiar thought of our minds. Because the effect of our treasures has such a powerful impact on us that we should be very concerned to be right and wise in the treasures that we choose. Because the attitude of our minds and consequently the heart of our lives will be as a result either carnal or spiritual, earthly or heavenly minded or heavenly when our treasures will uh, where, where our treasures will be exposed quickly by the th- will be by the things we're interested in and the things that we do the things that we're interested in and the things that we do will expose our hearts as to what our treasures are we will show when a man's treasures are heavenly He will show a lot of excitement and seriousness about the things of heaven, about spiritual things. But when a man's treasures are earthly, their interests will be mostly earthly and not heavenly. A person that's preoccupied with earthly treasures, they won't do well when it comes to spiritual things. Their church attendance won't be important. It'll drop off. Why? Because they're not interested in spiritual things because their heart is with their treasure and their treasure is earthly. Not only will your church attendance tell us whether your uh, treasures are earthly or spiritual, so will the way you talk. So So will where you spend your time. Your ministry will suffer too. Check your interests in your life. And you may learn a lot about where your treasures really are. And they'll see that they're desolate and they're very poor when it comes to heavenly treasures. And they'll find out that they're like the Laodiceans of whom Jesus said, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. It's so interesting how God sees us and how we see ourselves. The Laodiceans thought of themselves as rich, wealthy. I don't need anything. Jesus said, you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and naked when it came to heavenly things. Verses 22 through 23. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eye can be applied to many areas of life, not just to your possessions. The lesson that Jesus has for us here is regarding the eye and our possessions and how we go about putting a price on our treasures. The eye illustration speaks about how we look at things. How we put a price, a value on things. So when it comes to our treasures, it speaks about their worth. How do we view our treasures? And how we view our treasures will have a lot to do with our character. Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. And therefore, if your eye is good, the King James says single. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The meaning of good here is pure, perfect, perfect true and righteous. So it says, therefore, if your eye is pure, perfect, or righteous, your whole body will be full of light. You see, the good eye, the single eye sees properly. There's no double vision. The single eye, or the good eye, it views treasures with the right worth. It sees the great value of heavenly treasures and the little value of earthly treasures. The good eye, Jesus says, has the ability to discern between good and evil. And to know that all that glitters isn't gold. And when you view things with the good eye, then your body is full of light. In other words, you'll have good value of your treasures. If you've ever hunted and you look through a rifle scope, you have to close one eye because, if not, you'll have double vision or binoculars. You put them on and and they're out of focus. You adjust them until it's like you're looking out of one eye. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If you don't have a good eye or a single eye, you're going to have double vision. You're going to be looking all over the place and you're going to miss the target. Your vision will be distorted, it will be inaccurate. The same thing happens if you don't see things with a good eye, with a single eye. We need a single eye or a sanctified eye to see our treasures, to view our treasures in the right light, or we will invest in the wrong things, the wrong treasures. Jesus said in verse 23, "'If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness.'" If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, the sinful eye or evil eye, or we can say the double vision eye, does not see things properly. Your vision is blurred, it's distorted, and it sees less than what it is. So it doesn't give give light on the subject, but rather darkness. And in regards to treasure, the evil or sinful eye values treasures improperly. It sees great value in earthly treasure and little value in heavenly treasures. So you will waste your life and you will end up in eternal darkness when you invest in the wrong treasures. And how great is that darkness, Jesus said. And so many people today have poor vision, spiritually speaking. The Bible at times speaks about the unregenerate heart as blinded. Paul said, blindness of their heart. Ephesians 4.18. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.14, their minds were blinded. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And spiritual blindness will lead to eternal darkness. And Jesus said how great that darkness is. And that darkness is that outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus said. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus finishes his counsel here on possessions with some very strong words about the slavery of possess- possessions, the bondage of possessions. What he says here kind of goes along with verse 21 where your heart is, there will be your treasures also. Verse 24 speaks about the bondage that the individual is in by his possessions, by his treasures. You will be bound to your treasure. Whatever your treasure is, that's where you will give your service. And Jesus said, no one can serve two masters because he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't go both ways at the same time. You can't do business on the same sides of the street. Or I should say on both sides of the street. You can't be for something and against something at the same time. It's a simple saying and an undisputable one. And yet many try to beat it, but no one has. And Jesus said, either you'll hate the one and love the other or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. When it comes to your affection, Jesus is saying here, you will hate or you will love. You can't uh, can't love uh, both or hate both. Whichever one you love, you'll hate the other. And in regards to what you you'll do, Jesus, you can't be loyal to both or, or honor both. Whichever master you're loyal to, you will dishonor the other. So the affection and, and and the action, that is, the things that you do involve serving two masters, supports the fact that you can't serve two masters at the same time. It won't work. Why? Jesus said so. <laughs> it's that simple. Oh, I can do it. I can, I can handle it. Jesus said you can't do it. It's plain and simple. We need to get used to saying, believing when Jesus said something, says something, we, we believe it. He said you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the word mammon, based on the, the definition by Zodiates. The word mammon is the all-inclusive word for all kinds of possessions, earnings, and gains, a designation of material value, the God of materialism. Mammon is a Syriac word that signifies gain. And this is the way Christ Jesus is using it here. In the saying that he's given. It is the application that fits the subject of his counsel here in our text. And it's plain and easy to understand. It says you can't have treasures in the world and still be a good servant of God. Because if your heart is set on earthly treasures, you won't serve God well. And in fact, you may not serve him at all. And how true this is in life. People who have given themselves to earthly gain are those who skip church to earn an extra buck. Or they participate in some weekend activity, or sports, or pleasures, entertainment, or whatever is their fancy, because that's what they're pursuing. And you know what will happen? They'll drop off, or they'll drop the responsibilities, or they won't accept their responsibilities at the church. Why? Because they're too busy working or playing games. Their interest in earthly things simply excludes them from serving the Lord. In closing. There are other applications of this principle here. You can't mix the message of heaven with the music of hell, somebody said. And how true that is. You can't mix the message of heaven with the music of hell. Things of heaven and things of hell do not mesh. How many Christian singers, we see it all the time, have tried to sing in both worlds. And they end up being pulled into the world because of money and fame. Movie stars professing to be Christians compromised by taking on sexual scenes or nude scenes and, oh, well, you know, it's my job. Well, are you are a believer first or are you are a movie star first. Now, we have a biblical example to prove exactly what's being taught here, what Jesus is talking about here, that you can't mix heaven and hell together. We have a biblical example through with Jacob. Remember when Jacob was trying to deceive his father. Jacob put on hairy arms like his brother Esau. Jacob tried mixing his voice with Esau's hands. And he found out that his so-called clever deception of trying to mix his voice with his brother's hairy arms didn't work. Instead, it produced hatred between him and his brother. Separation between him and his family. He had to run and hide they wanted to kill him it doesn't work there's going to be a Demas same thing Demas found out he couldn't mix the love of the world with his loyalty to Paul the apostle and he left Paul for the love of the world the warning is clear seek heavenly treasures the things which are above not earthly treasures the things that are of the earth earthly treasures leave God out brings destruction and ruin to your life. Heavenly treasures do just the opposite. Father, we thank you for this lesson. Father, I pray that we would take it to heart, God. Lord, there are sometimes things that we don't like to hear. And many times we justify them because they're good in and of themselves. But nonetheless... If they keep me away from God and serving God and the things that God has called me to do, they're not good for us. We need to take a stand. We need to take a commitment for the things of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But God's word has spoken to you this morning. And that's our prayer. Maybe you've been storing up treasures from this world. This world is your pursuit. Your pursuit is being successful in this world by the world's standards. Again, having the right car, the right house. Living in the right neighborhood, having the right amount of money in the bank, all of it temporal. All of it can be rusted out and moth eaten, stolen, destroyed in a matter of moments. And if that's where your joy is, your joy can be taken away instantly. But you see, Jesus Christ is eternal. And in Christ, your joy may be full, and nobody can take that joy from you. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And if you want to store up treasures in heaven, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. As the worship team leads us in a song of worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. When the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.